Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. What are you doing, Wagner? Indeed, what are you doing? Our look at what people are doing. Started during the pandemic, continues during this pandemic. And the chance to look at other stuff, other things. Some happy, some sad, some interesting. Hopefully, they're all interesting for you. Steve Rosenblum and Mark Rohde with you. Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score Saturday suckage. We suck so you don't have to. Here's something that sucks for the Wake and Bake Club, Mark. This is yeah, marking the, the, the passing of Cliff Robinson. <clears throat> he died at age 53 today. He had had a stroke several years ago and been dogged by that. Now, he had played for Portland. Of course, he was a blazer. He was busted (laughs) three times for testing positive for taking pot, and he always believed in it as a relief of pain and anxiety, and he was known as Uncle Cliffy. He was ahead of his time as a guy 6'10". This is according from Jonah Bronstein of AP in Buffalo. The first player 6'10 or taller to make 100 or more three-pointers in a season. He's the first to do it four times before 2004. And now we've seen how much the game has changed. 22 people have done it, 22 players have done it over the past four seasons. So he was doing all this. He was known as Uncle Cliffy. Then he got out of basketball after 18 seasons, and he became known as Uncle Spliffy. Because Uncle Spliffy was all about cannabis yeah he made kind of cannabis products in oregon he had a cannabis he had ran cannabis places and he talked about doing it for the right reasons of just it was it, it helped the anxiety it relieved his his um headaches and he became an advocate for marijuana legalization we had often tried to book him for the wake and bake club and it never seemed to work out but we couldn't the, we couldn't let go the passing of Uncle Spliffy, as was noted today. His former UConn star died at 53. So a, I'm a glad though. Bay Club uh, legend. Yeah, amen. Yeah. R.I.P. I'm glad though that Cliff Robinson, Uncle Spliffy, got to see the day that, in essence, weed was legal in the NBA because. They ain't tested in that their bubble. In other words, you're right. 
You're right. right. Yeah. So he got to see. I'm glad we're not sitting here and saying, oh, if he only got to see the day that you don't get busted in the NBA for smoking weed. And that, in essence, everybody's looking the other way right now. And they are not testing in the bubble. If you brought weed to the bubble, it is, they are saying, we're not watching. Adam Silver's like, I don't want to see it necessarily, but we're not going to test you. Smoke up, Johnny. <laughs> Smoke up, Joakim. <laughs> By the way, this is I, this is outing myself as just how stupid I can be. I'm not, I, I have so little experience at this, but so much support for its legalization and regulation and, and everything that goes along with that, that um, I had seen something on the Twitter machine of Joe Kim Noah walking down the hallway of the Bubble Hotel with a with smoke emanating from what looked like the world's largest blunt and it looked like a bunch of of joints wrapped together and corralled with a rubber band or some form of some some something to contain it wrap it together it looked like the the, the biggest joint in the world which which sounds perfect for Joe Kim Noah. So I sent a picture of it to my son, who I knew would help me out with this. And I said, what do they call this thing? What, what is this? And he's, Brandon sends me an email back. He goes, LOL, that's sage, not marijuana. So he was sage. going from door to door, saging as part of the using sage, burning sage as part of the the meditative process and and ah. so I and me I'm looking at the thing going, God, he's wrapped like those look like ten joints wrapped together. That's a really Joe Kim Noah thing. And I have no idea what I'm talking about. You're thinking it's like, do you remember the picture when there used to be the the Guinness Book of World Records hardcover books of the guy or lady, I can't remember if it was a man or a woman that had like a hundred cigarettes in his mouth. I do not remember that, but yeah, yeah that but, would be it. That would that would look. That's what this reminded me of. That I. That's yeah. a general idea. Yeah, you're gonna light all that with a blowtorch. By the way, yeah. uh, Uncle Cliffy, Cliff Robinson, opened his line of Uncle Cliffy cannabis stores, and or his products at a store called Oregon's Finest, which was on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. And he was there, of course, at 4:20, and he was selling pre-rolls. Anyways, that, that was just that's one of one of our guys. So I had no idea as we passed this week, we passed the on Tuesday, the anniversary of the release of one of the greatest albums of all time. That I had, I had no idea it was the one of the desperation albums, one of the greatest desperation albums of all time. Born to Run. Hmm. Born to Run was released 1975 this week, and it was it was an, an instance where Columbia was giving Bruce all the money it could think of, all the money it could find, whatever it could, whatever it could get, because it was a last ditch effort at making him commercially viable, and. That's what the whole thing was about. And he was frustrated, and it's like a 14-month process to get this album out as trying to be, you know, Bob Dylan meets Phil Spector in the Wall of Sound. And they, and he 
couldn't really translate what he wanted to do. And Columbia said, "This, there's something in here. We know it is. They threw as much money as they could at him, at, at this production, to try to get him, as silly as it sounds now, commercially viable. It was his third album, and they said, this is it. This is going to be our last chance. I had no idea that that was part of the backstory of Born to Run. I didn't Did know you? either until this, no, not until this second, man. I had no idea. I mean, as far, like, in my lifetime, he was always commercially viable. And obviously, he was a MTV darling when I was a youngster in in the 80s with some of those songs as well. So, yeah, I always looked at him that way. And I think, yeah, you'd have to probably give, a, if, you, if, if I think about it more deeply now, I would probably give a nod to MTV because there are certain guys, certain artists and groups that to this day are just because of the popularity of MTV. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and the the cover art is is legendary as well as um, there were uh, something like nine hundred photos taken, <clears throat> and and it was a three hour session of not a three hour tour. So, anyways. Bruce is leaning against Clarence Clemens in the, and that's the image that became the cover art because that's the one that jumped out at everybody. And then it was it was much copied, including maybe the most famous one from every, a lot of people's childhood. I don't know if you remember this, but it was copied as Bert as Springsteen and the Cookie Monster as Clarence Clemens. And it was the cover of the Bruce Spring Stringbean and the S Street Band singing Born to Add. And they they mirrored that cover. I don't know if you remember seeing it, but that was the Sesame Street version among the many people who copied the cover of Born to Run. I don't remember that, but I'll take your word for it. And Bruce Springsteen has always been a guy who was fit in a specific category with me. I have never been a big fan of Bruce Springsteen, but I completely respect him and understand his popularity. You know what I mean? Like I and I would like if somebody had a ticket for me to go see Bruce Springsteen that I had to pay for, I would totally go see him. I've just for whatever reason his music has never really touched me or gotten to me, but he's a fantastically talented artist and performer. It's an unbelievable concert. It just goes on and on and on. And having seen him one January night a couple of years ago, I think the show still might be going on. That's just remarkable what what he does, the energy that he has, and the energy that he gives to the audience, and the hit after hit and recognizable piece after recognizable piece. Yeah. It's just it's I respect him immensely. Yeah. So good news. Well, the bad, this is all really bad news. Because I don't really care who owns the Mets, but it won't be J Lo and A Rod. They, A Rod was trying to put together a, a bid from a lot of different people with money. Like, okay, you got a buck, you got a buck, you got a buck, and he's also the guy who'll always, well, not always, but right now holds the the longest PED suspension in Major League Baseball, and he was trying to become part of the group that bought the Mets, and. Apparently, and he he is now ceded that spot to um, somebody else who will negotiate with the Mets and cut a deal with them. So what that means is one of the back to one of the worst possible circumstances that Alex Rodriguez will be back in the ESPN booth 
annoying us during baseball games whenever ESPN does them. He's just awful. And he's going to be back because he can't, can't buy the Mets. I, I agree with you that he says awful things. But there's something I would – okay, let me put it this way. I would rather have him in the booth than not. I know that sounds awful. but I, And I think in part because of the wacky things he says, there's something conflictingly comforting about having him in the booth. And I'm having a hard time expressing it. But Roger I, Bozart. Yeah, yeah, Roger Bozart and the whole salsa thing. You gotta, you know, you gotta do better than that. You have to explain why you want him in the booth. There's nobody who would ever agree with you. Because nobody. I think, I think in part, look, it, there is content there. Look, the, we have spent lots, and I'll stop saying look. Eventually, there is content there that we have used at the score. I mean, we that like, there's been hours of content and time used on Alex Rodriguez and that would mean that it's good stuff or we wouldn't talk about it on the score so really everybody wants him and nobody's going to admit it but me a bit like old John Stockton he just does everything really well and he's a winner I mean aren't we all always looking for guys who are not cookie cutters who are just a little bit different a little bit wacky a little bit crazy like the, because there's so many guys that are exactly the same these days. He ain't the same as everybody else, and we have to. There's some things that we're gonna have to concede, or just have to let go when he says Roger Bozart and he says ridiculous things. But we're talking about it the next day, and like we allowed for Harry Carey to be like that. We allowed for Dandy uh, Dandy Don Meredith to be weird, and we, we've allowed a lot of things to to get through our broadcast days and our games, why can't we allow A-Rod to be this kind of freak in the booth as well that we could all rally around and talk about and laugh at and feel better about ourselves, quite frankly, when we hear him doing bad things? Here's Have I told why. Yet? No, not at all. Not even okay. close. And here's, here's yeah. why we cannot tolerate him. Is, like, everything about him, it seems like just an act. Like, he was his well-earned nickname, A-Fraud. But it seems like it's it's not uh, organic. Harry Carey was organically drunk. What you heard was real. That was that was that was him. So Dandy Don was that way. Dandy Don Meredith was uh, back in the early days. He was as real as Cosell, and that's what they were. They were organic, and that's the best kind of broadcast. And it was real. I don't know if you remember this. One of the best basketball announcing booths I ever heard was Kevin Harlan on play-by-play and his analysts were Danny Ainge and John Thompson. Now, the nothing was contrived. They were, they were especially with Ainge and, and, and going back and forth with John Thompson, it was a raucous thing. I don't think anything with, when you look at, when you listen to, Charles Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith. I don't think it's contrived. I, it's it's real what they do, the way they talk with him and and Ernie Johnson. And I just think the difference of that is A Rod is unprepared, doesn't know how to pronounce guys' names. He just doesn't seem to have the right information, and he's too worried about uh, looking. It's not how you talk; it's how you look, and you look marvelous. He's just too much uh, primping and acting, and and he's the kind of guy who broadcasts as if he's looking at a mirror. 
Why do you think a, they keep him around? Why do you think they keep him around then? Because I, he, I, I have no idea. Maybe maybe there are uh, idiot focus groups that say they want to hear from him. I don't. I don't. I don't know who they're they're polling. I don't know what his Q rating probably shows high recognizability. His broadcasting shows yeah. a, a, a high insufferability. So <laughs> I, I mean I don't know what they're looking at, but but every the other guys you mentioned, I was going to bring up John Smoltz. You don't. John Smoltz is compelling because he's he's telling you baseball in baseball ways. You're right. Not, you're right. I, and I love Smoltz. I do. I love Smoltz. And then yeah. in that same vein as Steve Stone, just straight up learn the game. A-Rod is a completely different type of guy, a completely different type of entertainment in which maybe you have to suspend reality to get past the fraud part. A couple of uh, very dark text messages coming my way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a memoir. Well, yeah, yeah. Check it out here. Grody doesn't like the boss, but likes A-Rod. What's next? A birthday cake for Bin Laden? Whoa! Yeah. Too much, man. Wow! Too too far. That's a that's a gun at a knife fight if I've ever heard it. And then from the 847, this one's a little bit more gentle. Uh, you lost me on A-Rod the cheat, Grody. I have other things to do. Stay safe, guys. Time to spark a strawberry 37% the cop pre-roll. <laughs> Weed is legal. So, Smoke yeah, man, th- those day. are some dark-ass text messages coming my wow. way. I did not believe, think that my take on A-Rod was going to be the thing to spark this controversy, but there it is. Yeah, well, that's he's just the, the other, everybody, almost everybody you look around that you want to hear a game, you do a game from, you you, you have or, or hear from during a game. And, and that would go for Jim Deshaies and, as you mentioned, Steve Stone. It's that you're dealing with, you're dealing with a, a certain, an or, organic and act, uh, a, real, a real point of view that's not, this is not an act. It's not all made up. You're not playing a role. A-Rod always seems like he's playing a role. And that's... That's not what you get. Steve Stone is just—he's there. He's—he's he's a guy who loves baseball, and he's going to tell you what he what he thinks. He's going to show you his impressions, and he's going to give you his impressions afterwards. And Jim Deshays is going to—he got a great sense of humor. He works well with his partner. You don't think for a minute he's playing a role or there's an act there, right? Well, national broadcasts, I think, are forever in search of finding somebody who the common person watching sports might enjoy or somebody who's not a diehard baseball fan but oh hey there's the guy that's married to j-lo and he's been controversial and he's good looking and now oh and now check it out he says things that i can understand so i feel like network broadcasts are forever have forever been in search of that guy and maybe that's what he's giving you because it is you're you know I can't I cannot argue with you you're right he it does sound fake and contrived but there's something about that to me that is a little bit endearing because he's trying to entertain us he is trying to say things and act like somebody who is trying to get through to us in a different way than other guys. So it doesn't mean that I don't like the other guys. Like Smoltz, if I had to make my list of top analysts, he'd probably be in my top five. There's no doubt about it in terms of of the information that he gives. But I might have A-Rod up in there as well. And, and you mentioned Jim Deshaies. I'm glad we're having this conversation. 
Jim Deshays, he, he is very subtle, and sometimes I'm like, where are you, Jim? But Jim Deshays is the, one of the only um, guys doing color commentating that occasionally has the ability to make me laugh out loud. Like, he will just all, sometimes he'll just throw little bombs in there. Because mm-hmm. I don't think there's anybody else doing it that is actually, like, I think Deshays at his core is actually a genuinely funny guy. And sometimes that comes out, and I don't think it happens. There, there's nobody else. Stone's not funny. Um, and you don't have to be funny. Smoltz is certainly not funny. Um, yeah, I can't think of anybody. I can't think of anybody who is able to analyze and then make you laugh out loud as well. Like I said, sometimes I'm like, where are you, Jim? Let's go. Uh, but, but he, but he's funny. He is. And, and one of the things he was that way as a player too. He was a go-to quote as a player. And back in the old days, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll throw another log is on the fire as I tell you this story, but back in the day, when we had newspapers and Sunday newspapers weighed about seven pounds, what was included in there, whether it was from Peter Gammons who perfected it and he'd write 2000 words on baseball, but everybody had a Sunday notes column and you knew the Sunday notes column, you had the right guy in the right network. What we do with as writers as we would trade, we'd have a clearinghouse where we trade notes. We'd upload them to a particular point and everybody could then download everybody else's stuff and use them for your own purposes. And this part of this note sharing was the way these Sunday, a lot of these Sunday notes columns got done in the newspaper. And that's how you ended up with a thousand words, a full, full broadsheet page, whatever it was. That's the way it was done. And you knew you needed to have, whether it was the Houston guy or the St. Louis guy, or somewhere you needed to be part of Jason Stark's network because he always had a he was always seemed to be tapped into Jim Deshays. You needed to be able to have access to the Jim Deshays quotes when he was a player. You needed to be part of that network because it made your notes piece better. Oh, that's awesome, man! <laughs> and and I, I can tell you the too, way. The, the way he is, the the way he is on TV is he is perfected being himself. Like he is like that off there. Uh-huh. He is he is subtle. He doesn't try to force his way into the headlines. He is the guy that, like, we always talk about, and we, talk, we talk about this in sports talk radio a lot. Like, you just want it to be, like, a couple guys sitting around a bar and talking about a game. If you if you listen to Jim Deshays and watch the broadcast with Len Casper, he really does subscribe to that theory of the dude at a bar watching a game and he actually mm-hmm. does it because i don't know that i've ever actually heard anybody perfect that like we all say it we all think it sounds great but we're all about what's the next topic here's a tease and you know we try to do that but i don't think any of us really succeed jim deshays kind of does so pay attention to that if you happen to be watching the game that jim deshays the guy at the bar talking about it and given knowledge and then has the ability to unlike uh, i can't think of anybody going right now in any sport that has the ability to make me laugh out loud as a broadcaster. And that, yeah, Jim, Jim Deshays is the perfect Sundance kid. He's, he's, his shots are perfect, and, and he's just, he knows when to, when to pull the trigger, and he's terrific yes. when, he has, when he does analysis. So, All right, we, uh, we're taking a break. We, kept, we went long on this, and um, I, do, I did not want to – I've had this picture on my computer for the last hour um, – I would call your attention to Jack Flaherty's Twitter account. Yeah. He, somewhere on his Twitter account, he has, he has tweeted out pictures of his Wakanda 
his Wakanda Black Panther cleats. They are a gorgeous purple. They're a thing to see made by Nike. I have no idea how old or new they are. I have no idea if he's probably risking a fine to use them. They are one of the greatest looking pieces of footwear I have ever seen. The, uh, the tribute to the late Chad Bozeman who played the Black Panther. So now that we're talking about things like that, we'll take a break when we come back, we're actually gonna talk to Trash Panda, who's supposed to be our producer, but he's supposed to be on the show, but he's not on the show. He's on Jim Deshaies' show, actually, when you think about it. And now he's gonna be on this show because he's got some tweets I wanna talk to him about and some things he did in college. So we're gonna take a break and do that. We are Saturday Suckage. This is What Are You Doing, Wagner? And we're going to do our thing with Trash Panda next. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. I'm really enjoying this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is a fun factoid. How are you doing, Wagner? That's what we're doing. We We have had sparse Trash Panda news recently. Although we did have... We did have... Nancy Armour, and we related that she had purchased the Rocket City Trash Panda. She found a t-shirt and the it says uh, 2020 trash with the flying raccoon with a trash can lid on its head and a ferocious look on its face flying through space. But the real Trash Panda, the original Trash Panda, has not been producing our show. He has been dodging us but he can't dodge us very long. And here, then, is our trash panda to answer for some things. Adam Studzinski. Hey, what's up, trash guys? Trash panda, how are oh you? Oh, my God. It's so good to hear your voice. So Although, I've been listening. You, I've been you're listening. as big a fraud as A-Rod is. Jeez. <laughs> you know, I'm back next week, guys, so don't worry. You're you're, you're going to have your... I don't know if you want me back, but I'm back with you guys as of next week. Well, we were looking forward to that. So I wanted to say, ask first of all, because we recounted all the the mother stuff. How's Alice doing? She's good. I think she's a little bored. I mean, there's not a whole lot to do in the middle of nowhere, especially when you can't really. Because you know, my folks are not young, so they they try not they try to stay away in the from as many people as they can during the pandemic. So I think my mom's bored, but they're 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 doing well. They're doing well. I I would have thought that. Handling shooter would have been a full-time job. Oh, it is. It is. He... Trust me. It is. Handling my dad's a full-time job sometimes. Okay. So anyways, Mark, I don't know if you saw this, but there was this tweet from uh, from Ian Rose, whose Twitter bio says this person is the night mayor of Minneapolis. In honor of our universities relying on the flawless decision-making of 30,000 undergraduates in order to open... Please quote tweet this with the dumbest decision you witnessed in college. So, Mark, our beloved trash panda, Alice, hope you're listening. She probably knows LOL, this. LOL, I can't even name the top one. Ooh. Maybe the roughly six keg races we did, or when we played bags on the roof while drinking, or, and this is where we're going to start, 90% of what happened at Scumfest. Oh, yes. What so, a party that was. Explain, Trash Panda. Well, I guess it's fitting that Trash Panda would be at Scumfest, but so, what it was. Oh, my. I'm so glad Scumfest. I get to talk about this now. 
So Scumfest was a party that we had every semester in college, starting with, I wasn't actually at the first one. The, it was second semester freshman year where the first one happened. And basically, it was just too many people drinking in a dorm room, is what I was told. And I never someone, thought that and was so possible, like, but yeah. okay. <laughs> and so the next day, I guess one of the guys is like, man, that was a real scum fest last night. And so that's where the name came from. And so we started doing this every semester. We would go to the, our sophomore year was at my friend's place. And then my last two years of college was at our house. And it was just, it was just a party, but it was, you know... You start drinking in uh, pretty early in the day, and it's just the party just kind of goes from there. And so it, things didn't really get out of control, but it just wasn't. There's was a lot of. I mean, for instance, at one point we, we got a keg to tap during the Bulls game. The Bulls were good, and in the playoffs, it was the Derrick Rose MVP year, so everyone wanted to watch the game. And we finished the keg by like four in the afternoon and, wow. and uh, just kept going from there. So, it, how I mean, could, how could stupid stuff not follow? Exactly. So. It, you well, know, I don't know if you guys have ever played share. beer darts. Beer darts was was played. No, explain, Lucy. Oh, oh my! So beer darts is you basically take a dart, like a like you like a that you would use like a at a bar, you know, to play darts. Like one of right. those darts. We know what a dart is. I was making sure to clarify. <laughs> it's not a lawn dart. We're not. I was making sure that you're. No, it's you, not a jar. Yes. It's yes. not a jar. Yes. And, and it's not a. A euphemism for a cigarette. Yes, which it's dart an is. actual like it's a dart. dart. Okay, and so, dude. And you stand in a big circle with I don't know, probably sometimes up to ten people, and you stand probably like four or five apart, four or five feet apart from everyone in the circle, and you toss your dart. There's two darts, and you you everyone puts their beer down in front of them, kind of probably too close to their feet sometimes, and you you throw the dart and you're trying to aim at the person's beer. And so it was just on the floor. Yeah. It was, well, you play in the yard. We weren't playing inside. So you were playing in the yard and you're trying to oh, hit. Don't, the... don't talk to me dismissively. Like <laughs> we were playing. We would never play this inside. This dumbass game where you're going to, everybody's eventually going to throw darts at people's feet. Well, you're not throwing at the feet. You're aiming for the, you're aiming for the beer can. <laughs> I know, but you're happy to miss and hit somebody's foot. I don't think anyone's and well, draw someone, blood. I think maybe one time someone's foot got hurt. Or got hit, got hit. Such crap. I don't. I can't really oh. remember for sure. We played that game a lot. So hilarious. <laughs> hilarious uh, by the way, hilarious. Uh, quick, uh, real time review of the story so far from seven oh eight. That's great story. No one ever partied in college. Oh, yeah. Well, see, <laughs> it's it was. I didn't think it was anything super special. Although I will say that Scumfest had a pretty good reputation around campus. Like we word okay. got around. And so at Western, if you get known well for a party, that means that you're doing something right because it was a hell of a party college when I was there. All right, so let's move on to to the mayo on the wall. Oh, mayo mayhem? (laughs) (laughs) Mayo mayhem coming up on coming up on True TV. That was that was so (laughs) freshman year. I didn't actually like so. I guess what happened freshman this is freshman year on our on our, on the on our floor in our dorm room and for some reason I don't even know how this happened but one of my friends had had, had several drinks and somehow he had a, a jar of mayo and he just like threw a bunch of it on the wall and rather than cleaning it up 
because we're all idiot college kids, we just put a poster over it and moved on with our lives. <laughs> <laughs> and the hallways smelled so bad for the rest oh, of the God. year. Like, it never got oh. cleaned up. It just, you had to hold your breath in the hallway. It, it was so That's bad. Amazing. Yeah, it May, was Mayo Mayhem. Mayo Mayhem. It's you, infamous. That's, that's Guy Fieri's new show, Mayo Mayhem. That's it's, what's coming I mean, up next on the Food Channel. To this day, if you bring that up to one of my friends, you just say the words Mayo Mayhem. They'll be like, oh, God, <laughs> that was not good. All right. Do you think Alice was listening? I just want to make ah, sure. She knows she most of these. She oh, knows what okay. I did in college. Okay. There you go. All right, Trash Panda. So you'll be working the Cubs game. You'll be working the board on the Cubs game. And then why are, why are you sentenced to come back with us next week and not doing more Cubs stuff? I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I think it's because we, we made Holiday. a couple hi- hires. We made a couple hires. And so Rick Camp is back, and he'll be doing the Cubs game on Saturday. Campy. Go us. Score's a better place with Rick Camp around. Good. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to having you having you have an, an open mic much closer, much more often, Trash Panda. We appreciate you I'll be here. us. I, right, anytime, fellas. All right. We'll take you, a break. Take a break. We can come back. There's something that happened in baseball last night that had never happened in the expansion era. It's, it's quite a thing. It's and quite a thing. And the White Sox are trailing one to nothing as Dylan Cease has given up a home run to Alex Gordon. Something tells me the White Sox will come back, though. That's what they do. The 2018 White Sox just are losing early. The 2020 White Sox find a way to come back and go, take that. So there, neener, neener, neener. How do you dig me now? Anyways, One run is like whatever, you know? It's in a one at bat. We saw that last night. It's one at bat. So anyway, something that hasn't happened in baseball, had not happened in baseball, since the start of the expansion era in 1961, did happen yesterday and also a former cub kind of kind of has the most common sense puts it in different words everybody said it kind of puts it in you want to understand what i'm going through just ask kind of thing so we'll we'll hear from that steve rosenblum mark Rody with you chicago sports radio 670 the score Welcome in, welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rody with you. Saturday Suckage. We suck so you don't have to. We will be taking you up to Zach Zabeman's pregame show. The Cubs will play the Reds today at 310. The Zach Zabeman pregame show begins at 210. We'll take you up to that. We will build a bridge to Zach Zabeman and somebody ought to. Damn it. And this is... <clears throat> This is you, Darvish's chance to establish himself here. I'm your stopper. Watch this. They need him to be you, Darvish. He's going up against Trevor Bauer today. The the Reds, you know, the Red stopper, the Reds guy, or the the other guy who's most likely to be the Cy Young candidate going up against Darvish. That's what you got today, two Cy Young candidates. But before that. Something happened yesterday, Mark. I don't know if you saw it or its significance. And it was the Cardinals game, Cardinals-Indians game. Runners on first and third, none out. The Indians are already up 4 nothing. So Paul Goldschmidt fields a ground ball at first. 
and he throws home. Yadier Molina ran the runner back to third. But by then, the runner from first was nearly at third. Now, we've seen this, right? Suddenly, this starts oh, to look yeah. like Little League, right? It looks, starts to look like Little League. So Molina tagged the first runner, one out. Then he runs the second runner back to second, while the batter was nearly at second base, <laughs> giving the Indians their second instance of a chance where they nearly had two men on the same base on the same batted ball. So the, the hitter runs back to first, and the runner on second tries to head to third, and as Molina looks at the hitter who's scurrying back to first, Molina then throws to second base to get the runner out at when he was caught off second base. The man he threw it to was Dylan Carson, who is the center fielder. Oh, Jesus. So this became, right after, right as Carlson applies the tag, this was the first recorded instance of a 3-2-8 double play in the expansion era. This according to Elias Sports. 3-2-8 double play. And the Cardinals, of course, rode this momentum of a, of a heads-up defensive play to immediately give up a homer to the next batter to go down six nothing en route to a 14 to two loss <laughs> wow so and just when i thought the white Sox had the greatest rundown escapade of the evening it was completely upped by well, they, but they did it right the, the cardinals did it right they the actually the the indians kind of ran the bases like the cubs would and the Cardinals actually played it right. They got two outs out of it, but they immediately gave up a two-run homer, and boom, there you go. Now what are you doing? And now we're down 6 nothing, and like that. But a 3-2-8 double play. Now That's amazing. Happens. Well, and the yeah. important part is is that the Cardinals are back to a game under 500, and as we speak, trailing the Indians one to nothing in the top of the sixth inning. So no matter how bad the Cubs have sucked lately, they, they're still going to be a playoff team. The top two teams in the division go to the playoffs. And right now, if you look at it, the Cubs are 18 and 13, the only team in the division above 500. Um, Milwaukee 14 and 17, those Reds who the Cubs played two against today and lost to yesterday, 14 and 17, and Pittsburgh 9 and 20. So the Cubs are going to the playoffs. It's just a matter of what kind of damage they do once the postseason hits. If they don't go to the playoffs, it's, it would be a fantastic collapse for the Cubs, quite frankly. So so let me ask you that, because because it would be a fantastic collapse, and they talked about their own version of Last Dance. What and with the pandemic stripping every team of any excess money and and any kind of allowance that they could fudge, what do you expect Theo to do at the trading deadline Monday? Well, you know, they, Maven's name has come up, and the speed guy, I think that's probably about all they will do. Um, I think that it's such a strange position because before this year started, the Theo Epstein plan was probably to start to break things up and to trade somebody from the core and start a mini rebuild and maybe not necessarily win this year. That was if there was going to be a 162-game season. Everything uh-huh. changed. I don't need to detail that. So that said, <laughs> if they're if they're so now he's in this spot and it's got to be a really confusing spot for him. Where yeah, the Cubs can do damage 
in the postseason. It is possible the Cubs could get to a World Series. They probably It's probably not realistic to think that they will, but if you're Theo Epstein, do you begin that rebuild for the future now, or do you just kind of stand pat where you are? Maybe you get to the World Series. You probably don't. And then in the offseason, you continue on with the plans that you had had, thinking it was going to be a 162-game season where we start to open up the Chris Bryant trade talks again or somebody from that core. So I don't know what Theo Epstein is thinking. I, I imagine it's a pretty confusing spot to be in and probably pretty convenient for him right now or anybody in the Cubs organization to say they don't have the money to make a big splashy move because maybe they deep down decide they don't want to because they don't think that this team is capable of winning the World Series. Well, I don't know that you'd ever have a better chance than you know you're in first place and you're surviving a five and ten stretch and you're still in first place. Now you're not a good team. You might be a good team. You're not playing like a good team. You're right. you, you are you're in a position, though, to survive that. You can weather it. And yeah, I, I think it tells you how important Chris Bryant is. Much of this crap has come with Chris Bryant out. And he's important. And I, I, I don't see them going near, unless they get some unbelievable offer, I don't see them ever going, yeah, this year, on by Monday, going near the idea of trading any core member. It's I, I get the feeling is... Because, like you said, the shortened season, everything changed. We've come this far with this group. So we'll give it another 25 games and see where we are and see what the hell we even have next season if there's a season kind of thing. There's no reason not to. I wish, given all the money that we know the Ricketts have, you don't have to stay within a baseball budget. You are allowed to spend whatever money you want, I guess, at simply a how much tax you want to pay, and see what might be out there. The problem is trying to identify what you really, they always need bullpen help. Every team, I don't care who you are, needs bullpen help. So would you get a bat or would you get an arm? What would you uh, get? An arm, the uh, There's no doubt in my mind that you get an arm because, and this is with an eye on the future, you're probably right. You're probably right. They're not, they have to look at the season as, Every year is sacred. They're going to be in the dance. You have to go for it, and you shouldn't do anything drastic. However, I wouldn't be mad at them if they did, because next year, John Lester's probably not going to be around. Tyler Chatwood is probably not going to be around. He's he's a free agent, and suddenly he's struggling and looking like 2018 Chatwood. Chatwood. Yeah, Yeah. and I prefer to think that he is what he was at the beginning of this year when he was really good. Let's, Let's be honest. He was excellent to start this year and has had two bad starts after coming off of an injury and who knows if he's still hurt. So you have to kind of go at this from next year. You're going to be without damn John Lester, without Tyler Chatwood. Um, so you at, like at this point, if you could trade Wilson Contreras or Chris, uh, name your core guy for a starting, a number two worthy starting pitcher you might have to consider doing that because these are the kinds of things that I think Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer were thinking about doing anyway to break up the core, to have a different mindset on your team because they realize that they kind of had hit the wall with this core. They won the World Series. It's been great. It's been a huge success, but now it's time for something different. So I don't hesitate in saying it's got to be pitching, man. Okay. I, you know, they're not not getting enough 
consistent offense either. And then you see Tommy Listella being traded from the Angels to the A's, and he's he's a reliable bat, and he's not there. And you've seen him trade away some reliable bats, and and they need that kind of hitting. I just don't um, I don't know. I assume that because the core players, like you said, the core players are are their lineup and adding to the arms. I don't know what they'd be willing to pay for. And we asked the same kind of question. What would you want to pay? What would you be willing to pay? What would you be willing to give up? What's right if you're the White Sox to get an arm? And the same questions apply to the Cubs. What would you be willing? Would you be willing to give up Wilson Contreras? It's a tough one. I mean, for the right pitcher, the answer is yes. Who's the right pitcher? I mean, and I don't like it. I don't like saying that, but uh, yeah, he's there. He's not, to me, he's not what you call an untouchable. As good as Wilson Contreras is, as much as I like him, he is not somebody who you look at and say oh there's no way you could possibly live without Wilson Contreras you know I mean it you you have to have a pitching staff which looking forward in the future right now is going to be extremely thin starting next year and so yeah I don't know who the untouchable is on the Cubs maybe Baez like I'd really have to think about that in terms of going after a a top-of-the-rotation pitcher. But, um, yeah, there's not a whole lot of untouchable right now on, on the Cubs. You, you Would you trade Wilson? I, I don't know what I'd think. Of. I was going to bring up the same names we talked about with the White Sox since they apparently are worth conversing about. Lance Lynn, Dylan Bundy, are those worth your catcher? No. Would you feel well, maybe better? Bundy? Let me ask you this. Would you feel better about either of those guys than relying on Jose Quintana if you're looking for to become a playoff team. Yeah, Lance Lynn, I'm not so sure about. Like, I don't know what. Like, he's he's obviously good still. I just don't know. Like, age-wise, is he? Do you get a lot of him in the future, or how much, how long you keep him around? Same thing with Bundy. How old is Dylan Bundy? I thought Dylan Bundy was. Dang it! I just I took it away. I thought he was 27. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Dylan Bundy, Lance Lynn to yeah, the Cubs he's 20, for Will. 27. He'll be 28 in November. And Lynn's got to be in his early 30s, right, by now. Um, like old school Lance Lynn with the Cardinals, and absolutely. I No, no, not Lance Lynn for Wilson Contreras. Nope, wouldn't do it. Yeah, Lance Lynn will be four next year. You gotta, 30. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't do it. I, I mean, I don't think he's good enough now, nor do I think there's, you know, the future necessarily. For He's him. got a war. His war is 2.0, which is higher higher than Dylan Bundy's. Dylan Bundy's okay. 1.2. We're dealing but with. But wouldn't you rather? But even that said, wouldn't you rather have Dylan Bundy than Lance? Yeah, Lewis? I know. I'm just reluctant to to trade one of my my one of the diva's secret boyfriends. Ooh, yeah. We don't want to upset yeah. the diva. But no, I would not trade Wilson. That that should tell you. I no, I would not trade Wilson Contreras for Lance Lynn. Wouldn't do it. Mm-mm. So before we go, I want to get your thoughts on what. <clears throat> Jason Hayward sitting out and the Cubs and telling the Cubs the Cubs players to play and they did play. They followed what he wanted. So what do you, what did you think of that? Because we've seen strong, strong thoughts, big thoughts or loud thoughts on both sides of like, well the Cubs shouldn't have played. Look at the Dodgers, they backed up Mookie Betts. But other people said this is what Jason Hayward wanted, so they were listening to him. And that's what they did with what a leader wanted them to do. What did you think? My thoughts on that were, and I wasn't there, so this is just my my opinion. My thoughts were, is that really what Jason Hayward wanted? 
Is that what that's what he said? Was that really what he wanted? Like I think that maybe that's Jason Hayward mm. saying like not like being a good guy and you guys get out there and and play. That's cool, but I think maybe when he walks away from that meeting, he's thinking in the back of his mind, "Gotta kind of hope these guys rally rally around the family and say we're not going to play." So I just I wonder if if that is indeed what Jason Hayward really wanted, because I got a feeling if the Cubs hadn't played, Jason Hayward would have been really touched. Okay, all right. Before we go, what I do you not want to. I I. I don't think he's passive aggressive. I think he did. He said what he said. He meant what he meant, and that's the way he is. And times I've talked to him, times I've heard him, that's what I thought. And I just think he was, he was that way. He wanted them to play. He had to do it for himself. He needed time to think. Nobody's ever been through this. He did what his gut told him uh, about himself, and what his gut told him about his teammates. He knew his teammates had his back, and and he has his teammates back. I don't think he's setting them up to look bad. And I don't think they'd set him up to look bad. Either. No, I don't. I don't so. mean. To, I don't mean to say he was being passive aggressive. I just uh, like. I think he meant it, but I just think, in a separate scenario, I think he equally would have been touched if yeah. they had. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he was mad. I, I can't believe they went out there. But if if his team had done that, I think it probably would have really been a meaningful moment for him. That said. It's such a, you know, in the midst of it, it is real-time, fluid, hard to know what the right thing is to do. So I'm not, I'm not right. mad at anybody. So, and by the way, Nick Madrigal just muscled a single into right field to tie the game for the White. Doing Nick Madrigal things, maximum effort, Nick, with a, with a single to tie the game in the third inning. There you go. Hey, before we go, I usually do this during What Are You Doing, Wegner, but I neglected to ask about the... The podcast that Mark Rody does. The let me put to, put a list together. Let me put together. Yeah, we are we are getting ready. Brian Mitchell and I get ready to start season two, and Ooh. we are going to do it in yeah in unique style. The first one will be a list about us. We are going. Brian decided that we should both do a list about ourselves, revealing five things that you might not have known about us. So it is, it is about us in the season premiere of That's Let Me Put excellent. a List Together. That's a hell yes. of a list here. So is it? Is it things or is like five words that describe you and here's why or how you guys No, it's like things, like things that we've gone through in our lives that maybe you didn't oh. know about us, whether they're good or bad or indifferent. So we're going to we're going to reveal things and we allow people too to get on our Twitter page or Facebook page and ask us anything about us, like ask us anything that we might read on our podcast as well. So thank you, Steve. Sure, yeah, I'm usually included in there, and I, season two is upon us. Look how things are just, just creeping up, like the, like the trading deadline. Right. All right, we need to say goodbye. Cup baseball is next. You Darvish, I don't know, let's call it a must win, because that's what we do in Sports Talk Radio. He must win against Trevor Bauer yes. and the Reds. And uh, we will be back next week with uh, more Saturday suckage. We suck so you don't have to. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. It wouldn't have been possible if we weren't here to be told how much we suck. So kudos to you guys for sucking as bad as we do. Oh, yes. Wait a minute, Mr. Post. Wait, wait. Oh, yeah. That's it. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.